where are you trying to get to? Where do you want to be in 10, 20 years? You know, mm-hmm. Is this a company you want to pass to your kids? Do you want to grow it and sell it? Do you want to sell it for a million bucks? Do you want to sell it for a hundred million bucks? Once we kind of start thinking of where we want to go, and then we break that down into shorter and shorter goals. Well, what do you need to do in five years to get to your 10-year goal? What do you need to do in one year? You know, so as you break it down, it starts to become more obvious what those tasks are. Well, gosh, I, you know, I need to go national with this in order to reach that scale. Okay, well, I'm probably going to have salespeople all over the place. So I probably need a sales manager. Oh, there you go. (laughs) So the more you can kind of break things down, organize it, the people become a lot more clear as to what roles you need to move forward. This is the Command Your Brand podcast, where we talk to world changers, visionaries, and founders people that are doing big things and changing this planet in a positive way. We're learning their stories, techniques, and exactly what you need to know so that you can do things in a big way. The time is now. Get ready to take command of your brand. What is up, everybody? Jeremy here. And as always, I'm bringing you guys some incredible people doing really big things. And our guest today not only is doing some very cool things, but has a very interesting backstory as well. I have Carl Mayer with us today. Carl, thank you so much for hanging out with me today, my friend. Oh, thank you, Jeremy. Excited to be here. So you're really helping businesses to not only put in the right management structure and expand, but to really be more scalable in what they're doing as well. But you had a very interesting backstory, you know, how you even decided you wanted to do all this. So tell us a bit about that. Great. Yes. It's a long time ago, but when I was a kid, one time my parents came and asked my sister and I, hey, do you want to go to Disney World? Well, of course. Who would say no? Who would say no? We were ready to go. And so the day came and we hop in the car and we're driving the airport and I'm like, Wow, you know, we're in Ohio, so we're got to fly. What airline are we going to fly? And they're like, well, we're actually not flying on an airline. We're going to fly on a private jet. It's like, whoa, wow, what? We're, we're driving in an Oldsmobile here. What? <laughs> well, how do we rate <laughs> with a, a private jet? And they started to explain to me that my grandfather, many years before, had helped this gentleman get started. And it was a dairy store he was starting. He, my grandfather lent him some money. And this gentleman took off at one store, became a chain of stores, eventually became insurance and some other you know, businesses. He was fantastically successful, became one of the 500 richest people in the US. And this was his way of telling my my grandfather, thank you, you know, so my cousins, aunts and uncles were all going down there. So, but I'm the inquisitive kid. I can't just say, oh, great. You know, I've got to say, well, wait, if we lend him the money, well, why don't we have the jet? And, <laughs> and my parents, after a few of these questions are kind of like, yeah, go play with your cousins. We're on vacation here. But I was hooked. I was fascinated because my grandfather had started companies and he was a great guy, and I thought the world of him. 
but he didn't grow anywhere near what this other gentleman did. And so I started, I was 10 years old when this happened. By the time I was 12, I was reading the Wall Street Journal every day and eventually. Oh, so you were like me. You were one of those. I was reading Tom Clancy books like 11. So you were like me. You were a weird kid. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. You know, yeah. So, so continue. I cut you off. You're talking about reading the Wall Street Journal young and, and things like that. Exactly. So I took, you know, in correspondence course in economics, went on to study economics in college, got my MBA. And, you know, first I was kind of like, well, you know, economics is important. And it was like in my MBA, I focused on systems. Well, it's the process, it's the system. And little by little, you know, I've kind of tried different things. I was in consulting, been part of growing companies. And I, in the end, I really come to see that it's really people. No matter what you're trying to get done, you know, whether it's sales, it's marketing, it's operations, it's accounting, whatever it is, you're doing it through people. So if you're going to grow beyond five or 10 people, you've really got to find a way to scale your people. Mm. And so that's what Abundant is really focused on at this point. So let's take a look at that then, because I think that is huge. And I think it takes a lot of business owners a very long time, honestly, to realize that, that it is the people you're bringing on. It's how you treat them. It's how you manage. It's how you do all those things. So let's just talk first and foremost about, you know, you mentioned abundant framework, you know, what are kind of those basic tenets of that before we kind of dive into things here? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, the first thing is the abundant framework. It's pretty comprehensive. It's not a silver bullet. It's not, if you do this one thing, magically, you know, everything will fall into place. It's it seems really, like that's what business owners want, right? Like, t- tell me the one thing, man. And it's like, if you want that, you you got way more problems than I can help you with. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking for that for a diet. So if you find it, you know, let me know. <laughs> I've been a competitive powerlifter since my teenage years. And I'll tell you what, there is not one thing. But anyway, continue. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So so the abundant framework is really looking comprehensively at you know what are the different areas of businesses and what are the key aspects of each of those. And the abundant tools app is trying to put the key elements of that into a software. So the, you know, first thing is where you're going. You mm-hmm. know, what's the Covey say, you know, start with the end in mind. So sure. we need a plan. We've got to have a plan. So that's the first thing. So we can communicate to our team where we're going, how we're going to get there. You know, then we've got to think about, well, what's the organization? Well, do you have an org chart? Well, that's hard to keep up. Yeah get it. So we make that simple, you know, then it's, well, we need to communicate. We're people. We got to talk, make decisions. How do we do that? Let's put a structure around that. Then we've got to delegate. So how do we, you know, how do we delegate? Then we need processes. We need training. So that's what the abundant framework is about is those types of things. So it's not the doing the task of, you know, you know, writing the complex business plan. It's not doing the task of operations or marketing. It's it's putting the framework together. So I guess when we're looking at it then, Carl, I feel like, you know, you mentioned the structure there and the framework around the organization, which is, it's vital if you're going to grow, having the right people in place and things like that. I feel like a lot of people have a confusion on that, right? They have a confusion on like, well, what people do I need? What positions do I need? So when somebody's kind of like looking at putting that basic structure in, like what kind of advice or feedback do you give them around that? You've got to break it down a little bit, you know, 
let's start with where are you trying to get to? Where do you want to be in 10, 20 years? You know, mm-hmm. Is this a company you want to pass to your kids? Do you want to grow it and sell it? Do you want to sell it for a million bucks? Do you want to sell it for a hundred million bucks? Once we kind of start thinking of where we want to go, and then we break that down into shorter and shorter goals. Well, what do you need to do in five years to get to your 10-year goal? What do you need to do in one year? You know, so as you break it down, it starts to become more obvious what those tasks are. Well, gosh, I, you know, I need to go national with this in order to reach that scale. Okay, well, I'm probably going to have salespeople all over the place. So I probably need a sales manager. Oh, there you go. (laughs) So the more you can kind of break things down, organize it, the people become a lot more clear as to what roles you need to move forward. I think that's interesting too, because it is such a stopping point for people. And we're looking at like the size of an organization, right? What size organization should start considering this? Because I know sometimes like you look at somebody and they're like, oh, I'm the CEO and founder. And you're like, okay, there's nobody else there. So I guess when you're looking at it, what size organization should be considering these things? Is it, you know, maybe a good idea to start thinking of that stuff from day one? Like what should we be thinking about around that? Absolutely. Thinking about it from day one makes a lot of sense, but it's probably not your biggest concern at that stage. The point where it really starts to become a burning issue for most people is when you start to pass 10, 15 people in the organization. Mm-hmm. You know, at this point, you know, with five people, you can sit around a table and figure everything out pretty quickly. You don't need a big org chart to do that. You don't need, you know, you just say, you do this, you do that. Boom. At somewhere between 10 and 20, 25 people, there's just no way you can keep up. You have to start saying, okay, you're going to supervise this and I'll supervise you. And, but then the complexity just explodes. It just, it's a whole new, new thing. And the behaviors of the CEO need to adapt with that change. And so that transformation is really where I've spent a lot of my career. You find that some CEOs can't make that transformation. Like, I guess, what have you seen in observing that? Right. Everybody wants, you know, a hundred million dollar company. That would be fantastic. I'd love that or a billion dollar, you know, pick your number. The question is, what changes are you willing to make to make that happen? Mm. In the end, that's really what I see it coming down to. And some people, you know, they say, I'm running with 15 people. It's not too crazy. It's a little crazy for me. But I don't have to change any of my behaviors. And, you know, I'm making good money. I've got a nice car. We go on vacations. We've got all that stuff. I'm good. Awesome. Awesome. Good for you. You know, if somebody else says, I've got 15 people, but I see how big this market is. And I'm willing to make some changes and hire some different people to get me to 50, 100, however many people and reach those bigger goals. So I don't just have the car. Maybe I've got an airplane now. So everybody's different. I guess when looking at it then, Carl, like we've talked a lot about putting the right people in place, the right management structure in place. What if we don't do that? Like, what if we don't bring in the right management team process and things like that? You know, what could happen to an organization? So I've got some interesting examples of that. I had one company that CEO came into the company. It was running about a million dollar sales. And he had a vision of how to grow it. And 
I came on shortly after he took over. I was the CFO in this situation. And we started growing the company. We were doubling every two years, sometimes a little more. And we'd grown like 7X in four years. Wow. And he got sick and, you know, couldn't come into work anymore, eventually passed away. And it was a family-owned company. And so another family member, you know, stepped in as CEO, very nice person, intelligent, but very different approach to management, wasn't a fan of some of the structures that the first CEO had put in place. And the company actually, its sales dropped faster than they'd gone up. Mm. You know, so that was a real kind of social experiment of you, if you will, of here's one management style and here's the result. Here's another management style. And it pretty much went back to, you know, the sales volume that it was before that CEO had come, the first CEO had come in. A little statistic that a banker told me one time that something like 75% of all business bankruptcies happen within 12 months of their record sales. Really? Yeah. That was, I mean, I was, you know, that's really shocked. Is it like something like triggering refunds or something like that? Or what would cause that? Well, if you think about a typical business, you know, there's all sorts of different business models. But most companies, if you're distribution, manufacturer, even services, you're paying for stuff up front. You're yes. buying inventory, you're you know paying for labor, and then you sell the material or the product or service, and then 30, 60, 90 days later, you get paid. So it doesn't take long to figure out, you know, the faster you grow, the worse your cash flow. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not managing the whole process, including cash flow, including, you know, projections, and you've got the right people to adapt to what you're dealing with, it is extremely easy to have this, wow, I got this huge contract, I tripled my volume, and I ran out of money, and then it just collapsed. And then, you know, once you start on that downward, you know, downward spiral, people bail. They're like, people in the organization say, whoa, I see this isn't going well. I'm getting out before this crashes, Mm -hmm. which, you know, it's, and it's the same going up. Hey, if people see it's going great and they want to jump on board, they say, man, this is awesome. I want to be on board. So that momentum carries both ways. It's really interesting because I feel like cash flow is that thing business owners don't consider, but that's the thing that's going to kill you or make you, right? Like, I don't know if you ever read the book Built to Sell by John Warlow. And John talks about like productizing businesses and certain like service-based businesses and things like that so that you're actually selling a deliverable product. And one of the things he talks about is when you're looking at cash flow, you need to get as much of the money up front as you can if, you know, if even possibly get all of it, which, you know, some people aren't always okay with that. So I guess what kind of advice do you give people around that to like manage cash flow then? Like like to, to make that go right. Right. Yeah, it makes me think uh, every year I'd go to the Rice Business Plan competition here in Houston. And one of the speakers was an older gentleman that had been very successful. And every year he'd tell the audience of these entrepreneurs that cash flow is more important than your mother. So that <laughs> made, me, made me laugh, made me laugh. But a little bit of planning goes a long way. Mm-hmm. We think of you know the accountant, the CFO as kind of a, a necessary evil, an expense we have to have, but 
you know, sales are what drives the business. Sales are absolutely critical, but putting a little bit more into that person, the, that effort of projecting what your cash flow is going to be, especially if you're hitting, you know, a rapid growth period is, it could save your business. So, And it's just that thing I really just don't feel like people consider. It's, I feel like the most important things in business are the ones people are like, oh, let's not worry about that one because they're the difficult things, right? If you can master those things and where you don't get help in those things from you know someone like yourself, like you really can solve a lot of those situations and that could set you up great for growth, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've started companies. I've been there. You know, you don't have a ton of free cash flow, you know, money laying around to just hire everybody. And some of these people, you look at hourly rates and you're like, wow, that sounds really expensive. Do I need that? Mm. I acknowledge that. But I also, you know, say, you know, talk to people and get the things that are really critical and making sure you've got in times of change, especially, you know, that's where your opportunity is as an entrepreneur, but it's also your risk. So that get a little extra help on your cash flow in times of change. You know, it's interesting too, because I think sometimes, and I'm trying to remember what it was, I think it was called lean manufacturing in the manufacturing business, how they kind of really grind down like exactly what you need to spend in order to make the dollar. And I think a lot of times, it can actually be a huge blessing to have to run a much leaner company because you think about things differently. Have you seen that as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. I was part of an organization, a larger organization, but our group during very tough economic times grew like 10x in three years. I mean, we were just exploding in growth, but we were very, very critically examined on every expense. You know, we had to go to the CFO to buy a, you know, a new computer. You know, it was very, very tight. And we were very successful and everything went well, even though we had the extra stress of, you know, very tight financial management. On the other hand, I've been part of an organization that was ramping up and going great, but didn't have that same financial management. And in the end, it blew up. It just, you know, it was very tough. Well, Carl, I guess just before we end off here, for people listening to this, I guess, other than picking up the Abundant Tools app, which we're going to tell them where they can get in just a second, what advice would you leave them with? That's a good question. That's a good question. To me, your people are your most important thing. One thing that I've seen entrepreneurs, you know, it's tough being an entrepreneur. You go through tough times. Sometimes you lose friends, occasionally spouses, and loyalty becomes very important. I hope that the viewers of this consider that the loyalty to your goal, to your dream is what you want, not necessarily loyalty to your person. Because mm. if they're only loyal to you as a person, they won't really tell you when there's problems. And so that's a huge difference. It sounds very small, but it's a really big difference. And I've seen it be the difference between huge success and stagnation. So that'd be my advice that I would share to the, to the audience. That's a really great piece of advice because I think so many times like we can make a decision because this person says it or that person said it. But when we have this guiding vision and we just stick on that and when things hit us or things happen, we figure out how to get around them and get back to that vision. Like It's got to be your North Star, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Well, Carl, this has been awesome, man. For people watching this or listening to this, if they're checking out the podcast version, if they want to find out more about you or more about Abundant Tools app, where is going to be the best place to go? Of course, the Abundant website, Abundant, think of a hamburger bun in a fox's den. So abunden.com. And we've got a assessment to help you evaluate your business. And you can go to quiz.abundant.com to check out that assessment. It's free. And so those would be the two obvious places to go. And you can also find us on all the major social media as well. Very cool. Well, Carl Mayer, thank you so much for hanging out with me today, my friend. Absolutely, Jeremy. My pleasure. Have a great day.